the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution, an economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world through the imagination of our people and smart technology. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Verisage Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. And on this week's show, folks, we are doing Free Rider Friday. Welcome, Ed. Hey, good to be here, Ron. Yes, I'm still recovering from the Landsberg uh, interview. Oh, good gravy! That was so awesome. If you, those of you, those of you who are who are not listening to this show live, if you didn't hear the show by Steve Landsberg that was last week, stop this show now and go and listen to that one first. Yep, I totally agree. He he was absolutely brilliant, and we asked him some really interesting questions. You asked him about the uh, presidential race and and uh, his, what his advice would be to a president and all that but uh, so it was yeah it was a lot of fun yes yes and he was pretty unexpurgated as he you know he usually doesn't doesn't get that deep into politics other than his quippy remarks but he he gave us a full nine yards i think he did yeah i've never known him to be shy about his opinions at, no, at least when i've sure. seen him in person he's been very <laughs> very candid so glad to see he was the same on radio yep no absolutely good stuff so what do you got for me ron what's in your bag of tricks this week uh, oh wow Ed, i am overloaded but i'll start with a fun one because i know you fly a lot I so do. here are here are 10 ways to tell that you might be sitting next to an economist <laughs> <laughs> all right now fire away gonna, oh, is this from I, 10 to 10 to 1 are we going in reverse no no we're no no we're not going to do the david letterman i'm just going to read them straight okay okay yep yep okay yep, yep. He, he refuses to listen to the safety announcement because in the long run we're all dead <laughs> he keeps telling you that there's no such thing as complimentary refreshment service <laughs> He avoids prolonged conversation with you because he has a rational expectation that you're an idiot since you chose the middle seat. <laughs> I agree with that one. But, I totally he offers, that one. But, <laughs> but he offers to trade his aisle seat for yours in a competitive auction with the woman sitting behind you. He plonks his elbow on the armrest because space has a higher marginal utility for him than for you. When he elbows you in the ribs, he says that he is simply trying to nudge you into better behavior. When he opens the overhead locker, a, com- a copy of Thomas Piketty's Capital in the 21st Century falls out and hits you on the head. Mm. But then he uses the book as a footrest. <laughs> Ouch. He only relaxes when the plane reaches 35,000 feet because then it's in general equilibrium. He spends all the flight scribbling Greek letters into a notebook. Turns out it's not a series of equations. He's part of the IMF negotiating team en route to Athens. And he adds an extra point to the top 10 list because he believes in quantitative reasoning. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I did good like ones the slam there, on, on some good he, ones there. I, I like the slam on Piketty's book, uses a footrest. That's clever. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, that was a, that was a good flip flop from one to the other. So uh, th- now, of course, what's really hysterically funny about that is that you and I are probably the only two people, aside from other economists, that might actually laugh at that. Our audience is now like, okay, let's move on. <laughs> True. <clears throat> so, but that's all right. That's okay. It was good for me. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. <clears throat> I thought you might. I did. So, so good stuff. 
All right. You know what? Well, that that was fun. Give me another one, though, because since you're bulging with stuff, I'm I'm bulging, too. But th- that's all right. Give me another one. Oh, OK, well, this one is semi related, Ed. But, but this okay. is uh, from The Economist. It's their science and technology section from June 25th. Those incredible flying machines, passenger drones. I, I'm actually really excited by this. There's a thing called a Volocopter VC-200. Eight tre- okay. 18 separate rotors can hold one passenger. It's made by a German company in Karlsruhe, I believe is how you pronounce it. I'm not sure. And it's more stable than a conventional helicopter. And you can operate this thing with one hand. And to land it, you just press a button, keep your finger on it, and it comes down gently. Um, the price of about a small upmarket car, and of course this is going to get cheaper over time, uh, can be flown by people with little training. And the question the economist asks is, you know, is it possible to convince officials that, that this would be safe for like the general public? And they say, yeah, it, you, it, this is possible. Uh, it does raise tricky questions, as you can ma- imagine, about insurance, infrastructure, public liability, and all of that. Um, but Ed, this is really cool. I mean, I could, you know, I could see like an Uber service where one of these things could just come and pick you up and whisk you across town or something. I mean, this has got all sorts of potential, just like driverless cars. Sure does. Wow. So it, does it look like, I don't have a, you, yeah, we'll have to put a picture of it. Do they have a picture of it? They, they do. And it's kind of an ungainly contraption with 18 rotors and this big wheel where the rotors sit above what looks like a little cockpit, you know, that you'd find in a helicopter, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, it's not unattractive. Uh, there, there are different companies working on different models, and they have a picture of another one from a British company, I believe, and I will post this article up uh, on the show notes, and you'll see both of these pictures. But um, I think this is really exciting. Does it, does it look like, does any of them look like George Jetson's car? That's what I want, the George Jetson car. No, no, not Doesn't really. look like that at all? No, mm-hmm. no. Maybe the little cockpit that you sit in a little bit does, but not the contraption above you. <laughs> right, right, that right. It, any any mention of any mention of, of of does it work in ha- you know difficult weather hazardous weather? No, nope, they didn't talk about they didn't talk about that. Um, they did just talk about the um, you know what what would it be like uh, to you know be able to fly like a paramedic you know flying into a an area and he wouldn't need a you know a pilot a helicopter he could just he could just do it himself so this mm-hmm. thing is when you start thinking about it like driverless cars you know your your mind can just go to a million different places for the uses of these things yeah no absolutely and so did, did they talk about how fast it goes speed wise? Because that would be the other interesting thing. Is this is this a short haul thing or like a, a, a taxi type replacement or Uber type replacement or is it more long haul, like you know several hundred miles? Yeah, no, I, I I don't believe it's long haul. Though they didn't get into any of those details. They didn't talk about its speed, its range, any of that. My guess is you're not flying real fast, you know. But um, it, it, so uh, the article is like, yep, it is definitely more helicopter like, but a lot easier to control. Interesting. Well, then then let me talk about this next one, which is the fact that Uber is placing a big bet on self-driving cars. So this might not be surprising to you. In fact, I'm thinking after reading this article, and let me just see where was this. This is out of Business Insider. And again, we'll post the uh, this on the show notes, the link directly to this article. But it doesn't surprise me, or it wouldn't surprise me, I'm sorry, that this if this was not Uber's long-term business model bet from the very beginning, right? Mm. And mm-hmm. that having, and then have that that disrupting disrupting the tax the taxi people was was just just the entree into the market, and that what ultimately they want is to com- the complete replacement. So what what Uber is planning on doing, and it doesn't say what city specifically, as I scan through this, but what they'd like to do is they oh no I'm sorry it is it's Pittsburgh, I'm mm. Pittsburgh. Yep, the city of Pittsburgh announced that riders will soon be able to take free rides later this month in their self-driving cars that are being developed. 
right? So, and, and this, is an, this is really interesting how they're introducing this. Riders will request the car usual as usual, but instead it's going to be, a, but they have to say that they want a, uh, the, a, the self-driving car. So you have to request it if it's available, right? Yep. Now, what's going to show up is a car with two engineers sitting in the front of it mm-hmm. that are ready to take the wheel, right? So, but the point would be is that after they, they test this, you know, how long before it's proven that this thing drives better than an actual taxi driver or an actual Uber driver, right? Because we know from what Google has done that it's clearly superior. It's just one one more way to acclimate us, right, to yep. this technology. Yep, and I think it's a brilliant strategy, isn't it, to introduce it like that. It is. W- when are they starting this, did you say, Ed? Later this month. All right, I see a trip to Pittsburgh <laughs> in our future. <laughs> there we go. I'd be the first to do that. Heck yeah, I'd oh, call one up. That would be awesome, right? Wouldn't that be cool to ride with a couple engineers and talk to them about this yeah no absolutely we don't want to distract them too much because what if they have to take over but yeah. i doubt it yeah yeah exactly exactly I, I can't believe the city of pittsburgh would allow that wow well and and what's interesting is that this is um and i i'll get his name i'll pronounce it incorrectly but travis uh kalanick i think that's how you pronounce it kalanick which is the Uber CEO, he's he's like, not only are we betting on this, he says, I can't be wrong. That's how confident (laughs) he is. (laughs) That's awesome. That is just awesome. Yeah, this technology, it's happening. It's happening. There's no doubt about it. Right. It's just a question of of how quickly does this come about? And, you know, I'm wondering if this is what type of car this is going to be. Is this like a car that they've been uh, working on or is it adapting existing technology? So, well, I guess we'll find out in in the very near future. Yeah, I guess it wouldn't be like the Google cars that you see around here, right? I mean, it'd probably be a regular car. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, I'll keep my eyes open for that in the in the various things I, I look at to see if uh, there's pictures of it or talk about it. That's fascinating. Right, right. And this guy does a whole interview on this, you know, and what what's what's holding it back is, you know, he basically thinks it's 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 the government agencies and understanding the insurance marketplace. And I, I think the insurers probably could figure this out pretty darn quickly if it was just allowed. Right. Right. I, yeah, I do too. There's obviously a learning curve, but maybe we're going to climb down this learning curve really fast. <laughs> oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. Yeah. So, so just next time you log into Uber, Ron, be sure that you're looking for the, you know, I want the self-driving model because yeah. it might not just be Pittsburgh. It'll start rolling it out in other cities before you know it. And we'll, we'll have to get on board with that. Absolutely. I wish I had a trip to Pittsburgh in my future, but I don't. But uh, I'll definitely look for that. <laughs> well, you know, maybe we need, maybe we need to go. You know, catch a Steelers game or something. Because you know, my uh, my wife is originally from Pittsburgh, yeah, so that's we can right. Yeah, that's so right. Can, could use a good excuse. We can re- visit some people up there. So. You, you, you may even uh, you know convince me to go to a baseball game. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you never know. You never know. I, that's that's one stadium I've not been to, so I do have to make that trip. So I'll be happy right. to happy to do that. So, all right. Well, wow, we're up against our first break already, Ron. So what I want to in- invite people to do, if you want to get a hold of us, ask TSOE at verisage.com is the email address. Of course, at Ask TSOE is the Twitter handle and hashtag Ask TSOE. If you want to get us on Twitter, always available there. But want to let you know that our website. The soul of enterprise.com is always up and running 24 seven. And you can listen to all of our shows on our archive page, as well as see our live events that we're upcoming that both Ron and I will be at sometimes separately, sometimes together. And we'd love for you to come by and see those events. But right now we want you to hear from our sponsor leading results. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. 
you've experienced it. Marketing and selling has changed dramatically in the last few years. The search engine has completely altered the way customers buy. Your clients are now driving the process their way. At Leading Results, we know how to work with this. We don't just jump in and start doing. Together, we plan your marketing strategy. Install a website that gets results and create lead generation programs that drive sales. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more and to schedule a 30-minute conversation with us. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome back, everybody. We're here doing Free Rider Friday. And Ed, I guess it's my turn. So I'm going to hit you with something uh, again from The Economist. Stay With Me is the name of the article. And it's talking about Airbnb versus hotels, essentially. Um, But this caught my eye because, you know, we talked to uh, Robert Cross, the pricing expert. Mm -hmm. And remember the question we asked him, who are the best, what's the, you know, who, who are the best pricers? And he said, right. without a doubt, hotels. Well, mm-hmm. Hyatt profits are up 55% over the same quarter in 2015. <laughs> so I thought wow. that was uh, pretty interesting. And RevPAR, which is revenue divided by rooms available in a given period. It's one of the metrics they use. Has risen in the last six years in America across all hotels. So these guys are getting really good. Um, yeah. booking sites have, uh, uh, you know, ha- uh, have gone from about 20% of rooms are now booked on these various hotel sites, you know, that you see advertised up from about 10% in 2006. So that's doubled. Uh, however, Airbnb is valued at $25 billion. And of course they don't own a hotel room. Right. And <laughs> they, they they have even more rooms than, you know, Marriott and Starwood combined if they do merge. I, I haven't uh, I haven't seen anything on that if that merger has been allowed. But one one thing I just wanted to point it out on this, too, is that, of course, San Francisco has fined Airbnb a thousand dollars a day for every person who rents their place using Airbnb that doesn't register with the city. And Airbnb suing San Francisco saying, hey, we're not responsible for these people not complying with the law. Mm-hmm. Right. So just another right. example of, of how, you know, government is, is trying to stop this. I'm sure the hotel lobbies behind this uh, as well. You know, this fine, these regulations, whatever they are. But I, I just found that fascinating that they can actually find them a grand a day for failing to, you know, fill out some form. Oh, Good gravy, and, and and in San Francisco, the you know of the place, the, the birthplace of of where all of this stuff is happening, and this innovation is happening, and they're trying to put the kibosh on it. I know, I know, it's amazing. It, it is. It's just absolutely amazing. I still wonder. You know, one of the things I wanted to ask David, David Barrett, right, the CEO of Expensify, mm-hmm. was when he's going to move out of San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. Right. I mean, and not go to Austin, by the way, because, you know, they're, they've, they've uh, I think we talked about this on a previous Free Rider Friday, but they, they've, they've pretty much banned the uh, Uber, you know, so <laughs> go, go figure. Yet another hotbed of, of innovation, Dell and all kinds of the, those companies starting around uh, the University of Texas and, and Slam can't have that, can't have innovation around business models. 
Yeah, no, not at all. Um, and just as a corollary to this, sort of, it's you got to go across the bay now and follow me to Emeryville, which is a city at twelve thousand, lying on the uh, on the eastern shore of San Francisco Bay. Right, mm-hmm. there's a huge yep. IKEA there. You know, you've driven past it, Ed. I know you have uh, on your way to San Francisco Airport. Um, but they also have a fourteen dollar and forty four cent an hour minimum wage which is 50% higher than the state minimum wage of $10. And of course, double, you know, the federal minimum wage. They're one of dozens of cities. They, they, they have one of the highest minimum wages in the country uh, in terms of cities. And um, I, I just found this a- absolutely unbelievable. This is the mayor of this city, uh, Mrs. Martinez. She says, I promise an economic impact study on this, Right. But there are times where you just have to take a leap of faith. <laughs> and I thought, wow, how cool is that? Take a leap of faith with other people's money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, not, that, that very nice of her. <laughs> Some leap. Yeah. <clears throat> Why don't you put your own money up and then we'll see. Um, but it just, just amazes me. Well, let me ask you something, Ron, because I, I, I have actually been to Emeryville. I've done some gigs there when a ah, long okay. time ago, probably seven or eight years ago. And it, now, is Emeryville like a bedroom community of San Francisco yes. and Oakland? Yes, but it also has some of the biggest shopping centers. I mean, there's there's four shopping centers there. It's got the best retail, best paid retail staff in the country <laughs> because of this minimum well, wage. Well, sure, but, but, but my guess is, is that most of those retail places – pay pretty decently anyway and look i don't want to is this possible that this is in a way that this them having the highest minimum wage is a way to keep out minorities from working there well that's really interesting i mean a two a one bedroom flat is about two grand a month um so yes which is outrageous. So probably the people that are working in these retail stores like Ikea and whatnot are probably commuting from other areas. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> my know? point is that, exactly. is that, you know, that they I don't know. I know it, this is oh, only SeaTac. Only SeaTac in Washington has a higher minimum wage in, in, uh, in, in the, in the lower States. I guess Alaska has an outrageous minimum wage. Um, as pointed out in this article, I, I don't see it right away, but it was actually much higher. Uh, yeah, it's twenty-two bucks. Mm. Well, and I can tell you this: it's been a hasn't it's been a while, but 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 uh, well, actually, it was earlier this year. But I, I had an opportunity to fly into and out of Seattle once while they were all on strike. Remember mm-hmm. that? Yeah. And yep. then once once after that, and the service still sucked. <laughs> <laughs> What, I uh, honestly think SeaTac is the, the one of the worst airports for service that I've ever been to. All of the places were horrible. Horrible. Wow. Interesting. I know because they've just redone a little bit of it, right? I know the terminal I fly out of with United has been redone. It's actually kind of nice. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I that's interesting. One one more thing on this, Ed, too, because watch for this argument. This argument's actually fascinating uh, for the proponents of the minimum wage. They they claim it will reduce welfare payments because mm-hmm. um, they you know we currently subsidize firms like McDonald's and others, um, you know, because allowing them to pay poverty wages because we have these welfare programs, including EITC, the Earned Income Tax Credit. So what an interesting kind of twisted logic that we're subsidizing the Walmarts of the world by having a lower minimum wage because now they can pay poverty wages and just make the government have the government, you know, subsidize the rest of your standard of living. Yeah. This is kind of insane. It is insane. It's completely (laughs) insane. Well, on a related front. Ron, and good news, this is a headline from the Foundation for Economic Freedom, a, bo- a website that I know both both you and I pay attention to. Uh, and this is going to make our friends on the left very happy. U.S. income inequality has fallen sharply since the Great Recession. Oh, boy. That's the good news. That's the good news, that the poorest Americans actually saw the best gains during the Great Recession, and the rich have gotten poorer. So... 
I'm sure everybody's very happy about that. Yeah, you know, I've heard, I've, I've seen statistics on the top 1% and the hit they've taken, you mm-hmm. know, in the past decade or so. And then, you know, you see so many, what's so confusing about this whole issue, Ed, is just people cite different statistic, you know, data right. sets. You know, Thomas Sowell always talks about this. You can look at, you can, you know, if you look at families, you get one conclusion. If you look at individuals, you get mm-hmm. another, right? right? You don't account right. for employee benefits. It's different than if you do. And just goes on and on. It gets very confusing. Yeah. No, but the, the according the you know, and, and, and like I said, it is dependent on the data set, but this is a, a, a data set that uh, showed that the, the poorest people did gain by 2.5% and the top 1% after tax income is now down 36.7%. So. Well, you know, when you talk to uh, Professor Landsberg last week about the inequality issue and, and how he said, you know, 200 years ago, it all sucked. <laughs> yeah. We were, well, we were all starving. Right. And, that, and, that's, and that's really the big insanity in all of this, right? Is that, that okay, yeah, so the top 1%, you know, minus 36.7%, but, and then, by the way, that the, the uh, you know, the, they, they do break down all of the percentiles. And do you remember I said to him, that the, the that what what if you were to break out the top ten percent, right, as as its own group, and then look at the quintiles within that group, yes. wouldn't you see a mirror reflection, right? Yes. And that's exactly what this data shows out. This this data actually, the bracket looks at the top the top quintile, so eighty one to hundred percent, right, and then breaks that out. And wouldn't you know? It's a little bit of a mirror image of what happened in brackets one, two, three, and four. Right, right. And, you know, I think Thomas Sowell pointed out that a, a good chunk, I forget the exact percentage of, of the bottom quintile are going to be in the top quintile at some point in their life. So this whole thing is is kind of like an escalator. You know, people are moving up and down. And, of course, we're not tracking the same people in these quintiles. It's another deep flaw and I always remember another point that Soul makes, which I think is profound, and that is if you account for age, half of this inequality disappears, right? Because mm-hmm. your grandparents are going to be richer than the parents, and the parents are going to be richer than the kids. Right. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Yeah, and I have seen people try to refute the whole movement within the quintiles stuff. Yes. But yes. but but that the data sets on that I because I, I start started to scratch the surface on that the data sets on that are so small so small as to be really statistically they're not even relevant. You know, there's some longitudinal studies out there from various universities, and I even think the Federal Reserve, where it actually followed the same people for decades, right? Which is really kind of what you need to do. Um, and and those show in, incredible mobility. So yeah, great great stuff, Ed. Fasc- I'm fascinated with the topic as well. But folks, we're up against a break, and uh, I'd like to remind you: you can check out our full show notes at thesoulofenterprise.com, and please keep those iTunes ratings coming in. We absolutely love those, and thanks to all of those who have given us those in the last uh, month or so. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Quanta CRM. making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. We believe great companies can become even greater by challenging the status quo within their companies. The latest challenge to your status quo? The way people buy has changed. Buyers now control the majority of the front end of the sales process. Sellers must learn to facilitate a buying process, not conduct a sales process. Social buying signals are an opportunity for sales. Learn more. Go to quantacrm.com slash ABC to request a copy of the white paper, Always Be Closing, a guide to the new art of social selling. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the foreword changed your life? Me neither. 
Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the foreword to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its foreword. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the foreword and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. free riding here on Friday on the Soul of Enterprise. And, Ron, we just finished up the Olympics last week. Did you right. watch much of it? No, uh, I watched some of it, not a lot. Yeah, no, I wasn't really all that into it either. <laughs> my, pretty, my dad was glued uh, to it and gave me reports on it periodically. He he was really into it. He watched all of it. He, oh, yeah, he's so uh, – yeah, I mean, I, I, what I find most interesting about it is the Apple TV usage of it and being able to watch some of the events that are not being broadcast mm-hmm. on your on, on your Apple TV. And you can watch them, some of them live without commentary, which is fantastic right. because some of the commentary is pretty stupid. So, Oh, well, I know it ran for, what, four <laughs> hours every night? And if you just watch the events, it, it would have been like a half hour. Oh, you know? yeah. It's just it's like insane number of commercials. And, yeah. and of course, the, you know, the big stuff is the gymnastics. That's that's the high profile stuff. And everybody knew what happened ahead of time. Anyway, this is related to the gymnastics. And this is one thing that I did find pretty amazing. And again, we will post a link to this article. Unfortunately, this one is from the Wall Street Journal. So you will need a subscription to get into this one. And this is about uh, Simone uh, Biles. Right. And her her shattering of the or winning the gold medal. Okay, ready for this, Ron? She won the gold medal by two point one points. Now, that doesn't seem like a a lot until you you realize that two point one points is the margin. if, If you added up the margin of victory from every Gymnast, women's gymnastics final from 1980 to 2012, if you combined the margin of victory from all of those, it, it would not get to 2.1 points. Wow. That's how, wow. that's how, that's how, how far ahead Simone Biles is, w- was from the competition. Yeah. Right? That, I mean, just, just destroyed everyone. That's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. Now, what I think is interesting, too, about this is that she has a very unorthodox style in, in that she never left home. She stay, stayed in Texas, and although Texas is a huge hotbed of gymnastics, so I will say that there's a, a little bit of a caveat there. But mm-hmm. she, she's, had the, she's had the same coach in Houston since she's been seven, right? She didn't go into one, one of the, uh, the elite places and she has by her way of thinking a a regular life right uh, <laughs> right she you know they they she did go out she she has friends that are not gymnasts and she, you know she 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 by all accounts all things considered was very different from what the rest of these women go through in terms of their upbringing and yet, yet was is you know seems to be happier, healthier, and and better for it. Wow, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, and wasn't so, there wasn't there a gal? And she she did the the shooting range. Who she won eight, uh, or the most or gold medal in at least eight of the last Olympics or something. Yes. Uh huh. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Forget her name, but that that's kind of an amazing story too. Yeah. Yeah, that wasn't picked up on because you know it's shooting. <laughs> well, right, right. Yeah, that's politically incorrect. You can't you can't uh, glorify the shooters, you know. Right, right. But but also from Texas, and then also the the the, the person who won the first gold medal, and I did see this this one picked up on because it was on the first day in competition was a, was an air rifle uh, 
gold medalist, and she's also from Texas. I, I believe at one point I saw st- statistics, and I don't know if this bared itself out in the end, but if Texas were its own country, mm-hmm. we would have finished. Texas would have finished fifth in the in overall wow. medals. <laughs> wow, that's yeah. impressive. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, all right. So, what do you got? You got a big uh, one, you said. Yeah, I do, Ed. And this is this is all over the place, and I I don't know why I'm interested in this. I shouldn't be. Remember, we asked Landsberg about it last week during the break about Brexit. He said, "Well, I don't know. I haven't been really been paying attention." (laughs) (laughs) And that's where I feel I should be after paying all this attention to it. But the the July second issue of the Economist, of course, was the post Brexit issue. And right, it had right, right. article and article after article about, you know, all the implications and just a few of the highlights from all of these. So I'm drawn from a million different places in this issue. But they say, prepare for reversal. Yeah. <clears throat> Four million people signed a petition for a rerun of the vote. Now, the economist thinks this is a bad idea. Um, but they do point out that support for the EU is collapsing across the EU, especially in France. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and... Um, you know, then it talked about the economic impact on, on Great Britain because of this. You know, the uh, EU buys about half of the exports out of Great Britain. So they talk about there's a Norway option. Norway apparently has continued access to Europe's single market, uh, but they have agreed to the free movement of people. And they, conti- they, con- they continue to contribute to the EU budget. Interestingly enough, Ed, Article 50 is about exit not trade. So those are going to have to be two totally separate negotiations. Now, they may happen in parallel, but the economist said the trade requires uh, the approval of the member, the legislators of the the member countries and the EU itself. So there's all sorts of speculation what kind of trade deal is going to emerge. Is it going to be a Canadian type trade deal or is is it going to be more uh, of the World Trade Organization rules. Uh, there's speculation what's going to happen to uh, NATO. You know, will Brexit undermine NATO? Uh, the EU is threatening that English may no longer be the, the main spoken language <laughs> in, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the EU. Airlines are, are starting to divert investments into the away from Great Britain into the EU, like Ryanair and others. Mm-hmm. Pharmaceutical R&D is talking about moving out of Britain. Uh, because of this, um, Morgan Stanley projects one and a half percent off Britain's growth rate in 2016 and 17 because of Brexit, uh, and the EU growth rate will fall by 0.5 percent. Um, and you know the UK, uh, the UK is like four percent of the world GDP. So I'm not sure <laughs> if I agree with right, these numbers, right. um, but. A couple funny things out of this as well is that uh, Boston Beer Company, uh, you know, which owns Samuel Adams, applied for the Brexit trademark because <laughs> they want to make a cider. So I say right on to that. And as all this is going on, the European Parliament announced a proposal to tax robots as electronic persons. Yeah, nice. So, so you, you read that and, and, you know, it just reminded me of one of the reasons why I so supported Brexit, because these people in the EU are just, they're bureaucrats. It reminded me of, uh, I'm sure you've heard this, the Ronald Reagan used to say this, you know, government's view of the economy could be summed up in a few short phrases. If it moves, tax it. If it keeps moving, regulate it. And if it stops moving, subsidize it. And, and, and that's what I think the EU's doing. Yeah, all across the board. So I just, you know, there's and, and, and you read this stuff and it just goes on and on about all the ramifications. And, and I just think they're so overblown. I really do. I, I just don't see the world disengaging from the UK. I don't see the new financial center being Frankfurt rather than London. You know, who wants to live in Frankfurt? I'm sorry, but it's not going to happen. I, so I, I don't know. I just think a lot of this is... Um, just so ridiculous and and just wow and i guess i got kind of caught up in it but well you know it's funny because i do have a quick one from from my stack on that so it, it, ready for this here's the here's the opening sentence of this this was published in uh why can't i find this here oh, uk econ news uk econ news uh, author is scott hamilton 
And the first sentence, and you know, I think on most of these sites, is this this true, Ron, where the the author submits the story but does not write the headline? Correct. I think that's correct, yes. Okay. So if you read this story, which opens with this sentence, the UK economy has shown some post-Brexit strength, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, at, right? So <laughs> here's, the, here's the headline. UK economic stamina not assured after early Brexit resilience. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, this article goes down to say, so this is a, a guy by the name of Grant Lewis is quoted. He says, anyone telling you that it's Armageddon is lying. And anyone that's telling you that, that all is dandy isn't lying, right? Um, the, the, he, he says, it's too early for, uh, you know, back of one retail, uh, uh, I'm sorry, it's too early on the back of one retail sales release. So, yes, they, they've got short, it, it, this does have to show some, uh, continuousness or some continu- continuity, but l- look, it didn't. The world didn't fall. It didn't crumble. It, it's it's okay. yeah, I, exactly. I mean, and and I think I said this on a previous one, and but I I do think this. I, you, you, the headlines. You would have thought that the that the UK voted to become the fourth Reich. I mean, no. that, that 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 is was absurd. It is absurd. It is absurd. They even quote uh, this town, Red Ruth, a hard scrabble town of 14,000. It's a mining industry uh, that gets subsidized by the European Union. Apparently, the European Union subsidizes you if you're uh, below a certain poverty threshold. Um, and, you know, some shopkeeper woke up Friday after the vote. And he said, I just thought, my God, you stupid bastards, you've gone and done it. <laughs> that was the exact quote of what the shopkeeper said, you know, because they're going to lose their subsidy. Right, right. You know, it's like, uh, give me a break. Uh, it just, yeah. <laughs> well, Ed, this has been fascinating as usual, but unfortunately it's flying by and we are up against another break. So folks, I'd like to remind you, check out the soul of enterprise.com. And if you want to send uh, Ed or myself an email, you can do so at ask TSOE at verisage.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Sage. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Four new employees. A 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers. Your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the foreword to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its foreword. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the foreword and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Free riding on the soul of enterprise, Ron. I want to jump right into it. How about I just hear about this one? The there there have been developed Zika fighting genetically modified organisms, mosquitoes, and it has received the FDA approval for testing. I did see that, Ed. I did. I did mm-hmm. read something on that. That's awesome. Yep. 
Absolutely fantastic. Now, I think that one of one of this was brought to my attention by one of our listeners, and I can't remember exactly who, but I, I do think I I uh, I know, but I won't say his name. That as a it, what how did, how does one price a mosquito? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> how does a one price modified mosquito? <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, by the way, the way this works is it, it it's a, it's a male mosquito. That and I don't know if you know this, but the male ones don't don't bite, right? Right, right. It's only the females, female ones yeah. that bite, right? So the the and and the but the male mosquitoes obviously responsible responsible for fertilizing the female. But what this does is is causes a self limiting gene. So once they go out and they mate, then the offspring die, mm. Mm. right? Mm-hmm. So and that's they and the the early tests show that this can control about ninety percent of the population. And it compares, you know, favorably with other insecticides, right? Sure. I'm sorry. Sure. It, it, I'm sorry. It's a ninety percent reduction favorably with insecticides. The population is reduced by thirty to fifty percent. I misquoted that. Mm-hmm. So, but pretty fascinating stuff, right? Absolutely. That's well, great. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, right. yeah. I got a big one, Ed. Another big one. This is uh, a special report in The Economist from June 25th, the return of the machinery question. And I think one of the reasons they went back to this, because they've been doing a lot of stuff on AI, right? And all of, you know, machines are going to take over everything and all that. Well, David Ricardo, who we've talked about in the past here, uh, first posed what he called the machinery question in 1821. He said, the influence of machinery on the interests of different classes of society, and in particular, the opinion entertained by the laboring class that the employment of machinery is frequently detrimental to their interests. And then Thomas Carlyle in 1839 basically said the demon of mechanism. (laughs) And then even during the Industrial Revolution itself, John Stuart Mill wrote, there cannot be a more legitimate object of the legislator's care than looking after those whose livelihoods are disrupted by machines. In the 1930s, Ed, John Maynard Keynes coined the term technological unemployment to describe this. JFK issued a domestic challenge during his presidency saying to maintain full employment at a time when automation is replacing men. In 1964, a bunch of Nobel Prize winners got together, formed the Ad Hoc Committee on the Triple Revolution, sent a memo to President Johnson on the danger of the combination of the computer and the automated self-regulating machine, dividing society into skill into a skilled elite and an underskilled, uh, un, uh, unskilled underclass. Um, so, you know, we've all seen the stuff on this, the 2013 Oxford study that said 47% of jobs in America were at high risk of being automated. Merrill Lynch has estimated the impact by 2025 between $14 trillion and $33 trillion impact on the economy in a bad way. Uh, the McKinsey Global Institute has said the transformation is happening 10 times faster and at 300 times the scale of the Industrial Revolution. Stephen Hawking, Elon Musk, Bill Gates all think that AI poses an existential threat to humanity. In 2015, we spent a record $8.5 billion on AI companies, artificial intelligence companies. And the long-term goal here, Ed, is artificial, what they call artificial general intelligence, which is capable of solving a wide range of tasks rather than developing a new AI system for each problem, right? So mm-hmm. I'm not sure if Watson is an AGI yet, but I'm, I'm sure yeah. that's kind of where he's evolving, mm-hmm. right? Um, and the... Um, the other interesting thing that's happening with all of this is that AI experts are being just vacuumed up by private companies, right? And these guys are, for the most part, a lot of them are academics, and they want to continue to publish and make the research kind of open source, mm-hmm. and the companies are letting them do it. And the theory is companies are okay with this since they can give away the AI stuff because they have access to the data, because it's data that actually writes some of the programming in these machine learning and deep learning things, right? It's the data that enables the machine to learn and program itself. So the data now becomes valuable. So companies don't have a problem with their, with their AI people publishing this research. 
Um, so it's just it's just really fascinating to to read this in a historical context, right? That we've been dealing with this problem forever, and uh, this is something that uh, Rabbi Daniel Lappin pointed out in the in an article that he wrote. He calls them thought tools. He comes out with them weekly, but he says, you know, this is just manure. Uh, he said, you know, people have been predicting the end of work for the longest time and not to get religious here, but he said the Hebrew word that means work is the same word that means worship. He says, and we will, me, we, meaning humans will always find a way with our, you know, limitless curiosity and ingenuity, uh, to find newer and better ways to serve our fellow humans and, and although that's on the optimistic side of this debate, I, I think he's right. And, and the economist said, just on final thought here, the economist said between the pessimist view and the optimist view, that it's probably somewhere in, in between uh, how this is going to unfold. Um, so, again, just all part of this whole AI thing and what's going to happen with things like this. And I just I find this topic fascinating as well. It is fascinating, but it, I think I think Lappin's right. This is, as Colonel Potter would say on MASH, horse hockey. hockey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, the, the, please, please see, and we'll post this in the show notes for those of you who haven't read it, the Bastiat's famous essay on that with the Candlemaker's Petition Against the Sun. Yes. Uh, th- this, this, is, this is nothing new, folks. This is nothing new. And everybody's, well, the speed at which is, no. <laughs> It's always been change has always been accelerating. Uh, yes, the number of jobs that ha, that that has has changed, and and I think this is one of the the the, the great insights of the Suskins is that we need to look at not jobs but at tasks. And when you b- begin to break it down to that level, you quickly realize that human beings are not going to be suddenly replaced by robots. It's going to take it, it, no matter how fast the change occurs. There's going to be other stuff that that comes in and changes. So I think that's nuts. Well, uh, last quick mention here, Ron. We got about a minute left, uh, uh, just to, to piggyback on on what you have. But but this is from Fox News Tech. Macy's has now employed Watson to help right. shoppers. Yeah, I believe it. So, That's which, awesome. Which, which, and this is what I want to, what I want to say is, I haven't shopped at a Macy's in years because I hate it. But I would actually now consider possibly shopping in a Macy's if I could test out a Watson thing. So good on Macy's for figuring that out. <laughs> well, and as usual, these free rider Fridays just fly by. You talk about flow, and this is the fastest hour of my life. But this was great, and uh, I guess I will see you in 167 hours. Sounds good. This has been the soul of enterprise, business, and the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world through the imagination of our people and smart technology. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, feel free to visit us at thesoulofenterprise.com. We will post full show notes on all the topics that we discussed on uh, today's Freerider Friday. And you can contact Ed or myself at asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a wonderful weekend and see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.